We are recommencing tonight our series in the Book of Jonah. Uh, so when lockdown occurred, we uh, broke uh, into the series to do a mini-series on Revelation chapter 1. Uh, but as things are beginning to ease now, uh, we are recommencing uh, Jonah. And the last time we left Jonah, he was in the belly of the whale. Uh, here was God's prophets. Uh, he'd been called by God to go to Nineveh, uh, the uh, largest city in the Assyrian Empire, enemy territory, to preach the word of God. But Jonah uh, thought he knew better, and he uh, ran in the opposite direction. Uh, and I'm sure he thought he was serving God in doing that. Uh, he was backsliding. He was drifting, going away from the Lord. And uh, God loves us, his children, too much to let us go completely away from him. So when we do backslide, uh, he uh, has his ways of bringing us back. And that's what has been happening with Jonah. And uh, he uh, ended up being swallowed by a whale and in the darkness and the dankness of the belly of the whale the uh, school of the belly of the whale as Spurgeon calls it he learns valuable lessons and it's God's way of uh, not just teaching him but turning him around in his hearts and maybe you uh, and I have been uh, drifting and in God's goodness, uh, he has uh, taken us uh, to the same school and we are learning. And it's time tonight to come out of the whale's belly. Uh, we're just going to look at one last thing in this prayer. Uh, we've already looked at three things in the prayer. Uh, it's uh, very significant how Jonah uh, talks about affliction, prayer, and meditating on the Word of God. Those were the three things we looked at before lockdown as part of being in the school of Christ in the belly of the whale. But the climax of the prayer is found in verse 9, the end of verse 9, very famous words, salvation is of the Lord. Now, you could preach many sermons on that one verse, but what I want to emphasize tonight is the little word is. Salvation is of the Lord. It's as if Jonah, who was a prophet, so he should have known better, but alas, uh, like Many uh, of us, uh, whether we're preachers or just ordinary Christians, we forget uh, the most basic things. And after being in this school of the belly of the whale, he says, I see it at last. Salvation, deliverance is indeed all of God. Uh, so we're going to consider verses eight and nine and the one emphasis, as I was referring this morning, in uh, these verses is grace. Uh, if you look at verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, capital M. It refers to God's 
mercy. Uh, now, a better word there is either loving kindness or an even better word, steadfast love, chesed in the Hebrew. It speaks of the covenant of grace, something that doesn't change. And then, of course, the whole emphasis on the word is, salvation is of the Lord. It means we don't do anything. We don't deserve any of God's chesed's. We don't deserve any mercy, kindness, love. It is all of grace. And that is what Jonah at last comes to see. Now then, uh, let me just uh, uh, give you a few uh, definitions here, which I found helpful. Uh, according to Packer, uh, who died recently, a great theologian, uh, according to Packer, uh, grace uh, to many people is just uh, uh, an idea, an abstract idea, something in the mind. Maybe it was that for Jonah before God had dealt with him in the belly of the whale. But now, instead of an idea, it's a living, powerful force that is changing him. Is grace that to you? Is it something that moves you and changes you? Uh, and then let me just mention these words. This is important. Justice. What's that? Justice. People getting what they deserve. We all understand that. If somebody does wrong, uh, it's only right uh, that they are punished. That's not how God deals with us in the gospel. We'd have no hope if we got our just desserts. Mercy is better. We get what we don't deserve. So forgiveness is a mercy. We don't deserve it, but we get it. It's just negative. We get what we don't deserve. Grace is more than that. It's not just the negative, but there's an abounding element to it. We are shown grace, favor upon favor, which we don't deserve. Uh, Jesus Christ has grace multiplied with grace. You don't think of addition when it comes to grace. It's certainly not subtraction or division. It's multiplication. Grace upon grace. C.S. Lewis once, uh, another great theologian, he was late uh, for a theological debate. And these academics were talking about the difference between Christianity and every other religion. And one of them asked Lewis as he came in, what makes Christianity unique? What makes it completely different from every other religion? And C.S. Lewis said, that's simple. It's the grace of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It is grace. Now, let me just open this up tonight uh, in uh, showing how relevant this is for us. I want to say, first of all, that the way God had dealt with Jonah made him very aware of his own unworthiness, ill deserts. Here he was. Uh, he had been thrown into the sea. 
he'd gone into the depths of the sea. We haven't got time to look at it again tonight. We looked at it last time. But in the psalm, he uses graphic language to describe his predicament. He'd gone down into hell, as it were, and then being swallowed by the whale. It's pitch dark there. He can't see anything. I'm sure it would have smelled. It, it would have been a horrible place. He's at last coming to see that he is the sinner. Two words that a Christian who is being dealt with by God should know. Mia culpa. It's my fault. That's what happens when we're convicted of sin. Now, don't just think of conviction of sin as something we go through before we are saved in order to show us the need of a saviour. It sometimes happens, well, often happens, after conversion as well, because the Holy Spirit who convicted us before we were saved is now working in us. And because he is holy and we are still sinners, uh, he puts light into those dark recesses of our soul and we can be convicted again and again of sin. Uh, think of King David. Uh, think of the psalm we read this morning. Uh, think of another psalm of his, Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Uh, think of uh, a New Testament apostle, Peter, uh, Jesus Christ was going to mightily use Peter on the day of Pentecost. But before that, he'd had his belly of the whale experience. He'd been humbled. Yes, it was his fault, just like it was Jonah's fault. But God uses our faults in order to make us what he would have us be. And Peter, thinking, I'm sure, of his denying of the Savior, wrote, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due season. My friends, we humble ourselves. It is God that raises us up, and it's in due season. And Jonah's due season was about to come. Praise God. And if you're in darkness at the moment, maybe you are going through a period of conviction. Don't try and go ahead of the Lord. Let his spirit do his work so that in due season, he will raise you up. The Apostle Paul, another example. Notice the present tense when Paul says in Romans, in my flesh, in me, that is to say my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Uh, later on, one of his last letters writing to Timothy, it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom not I was the chief, but I am the chief. He had this constant awareness that he was an object of God's grace, that this undeserving mercy of God had come to him, unworthy him. Uh, Muhammad Ali he was interviewed once by David Frost. I don't know if uh, it would have been an easy task to interview Muhammad Ali. And David Frost asked him, are, are you a sinner? Imagine asking Muhammad Ali that. He could have punched you. Are you a sinner? And Muhammad Ali answered with words to this effect, everybody 
commit sin. Everybody. And sometimes, you know, as Christians, we forget that. We think somehow we are a cut above the rest. But what this horrible experience for Jonah in the school of the belly of the whale had taught him was this. In and of myself, that's all I am. I'm an unworthy sinner. And all these men that I've mentioned, and I could mention women as well, that's their story. Uh, listen to the Apostle Paul. I, I just want to read. He just couldn't get over this fact. Grace wasn't an idea. It was a life force for him. And listen to him writing to the Corinthians. He put it like this. I am the least of the apostles who I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. And I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God which was in me. This is where we begin. This sense of unworthiness. This conviction of sin again. Uh, this uh, awareness that we are of ourselves sinners. Have we got this? Or do we have a holier-than-thou attitude? Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, a solid reformed evangelical theologian, a very good man, in his excellent commentary on Jonah, he wrote these words. How perverse Jonah was before going through this school of the belly of the whale. Living in a favoured nation where spiritual light had shone uh, because of the great mercy of God, he had come to assume that Israel deserved grace, whereas others did not deserve it. What a perversion! Yet it's often like this in the church, Ferguson says, a hidden poison in the heart of some of us who most fervently profess evangelical convictions. You see, Jonah, this isn't just my own theory, most of the best commentators say this, Jonah thought that no way was God sending him to Nineveh, to the Assyrians, in a previous uh, generation. He had been involved in denouncing God's judgment to them. There was no way now that he was going to preach the gospel of grace to them. God must be calling him somewhere else. But what proud Jonah was learning, and it's a painful lesson to learn, in the dark, dank belly of the whale, it's just this. I'm no better than the Ninevites. None of us are. It's all of grace. Uh, there's the famous quote, isn't there, uh, of a person who'd done wrong uh, walking down the streets. And was it John Bradford, the English reformer, pointing to that person and saying, there but for the grace of God go I. Do, do, do you have that sense of unworthiness, even before wonder, this sense, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. We sang, didn't we, uh, at the start of our service, what a grand hymn, Sovereign Grace, 
or sin abounding. Ransomed souls, the tidings swell. Tis a deep that knows no sounding, who its breadth or length can tell. On its glories, we're going to do that in a minute. Let my soul forever dwell. And this is the response in me. On such love my soul still ponder. Love so great, so rich, so free. Say while lost in holy wonder, why, O Lord, such love to me. Hallelujah, grace shall reign eternally. So this sense of unworthiness, even saying I'm the chief of sinners, we don't mean by that we have done worse things than other people. Oh, no. This sense of sin in us makes us feel like that. And then salvation is of the Lord. Jonah isn't just aware of his unworthiness, but this abounding grace of God, grace sufficient is my second point. Uh, I hinted at that this morning. I think of John Bunyan's autobiography. What a title. Grace abounding to the chief of sinners. You've got both there. Uh, as somebody said, we are more sinful than we ever imagined ourselves to be. But at the same time, we have been loved with a greater love than we can ever imagine. And this is what I want to consider here very briefly. The abounding grace of God. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Speaking of other religions and other ideologies, other uh, ideas, those who regard, how does Jonah refer to them? Worthless idols, he says, forsake their own mercy. What's he saying there? Uh, he's saying they're lying vanities. Now, that's not politically correct, is it? He's calling other religions empty. What's, what's he saying? He says there's no grace in them. There's no mercy there. And even if there is, it's dependent on you and I and our contribution. And it will let us down because you can't depend on mankind. The best of men are men at best. I wonder, are you following a lying vanity? It's possible to have a form of Christianity that's just empty. You know, many people are not religious in that sense today in our country. A generation or a few generations ago, people would have gone to chapel, not necessarily believing in Jesus Christ, but uh, trusting in chapel, in religion. But it let them down. It didn't have any grace in it. It didn't give them any peace. It didn't offer any salvation from sin. It didn't give peace in the light of death. And even if you're thinking of non-religious props, uh, let me just go through a few things. Uh, money. Uh, are there people listening who are trying to pin their hopes on money? Oh, my friend, it will fail you in the end. Even if you have money now, you're worried that it's going to be taken from you. And if you don't have money, you're worried that you don't have enough. Oh, the deceitfulness of riches is what Jesus Christ called it. And then what about pleasures? 
Aren't we living in a hedonistic age? People live for their pleasures, whether it's sex or drugs or whether it's more refined pleasures. It doesn't matter. It leaves an empty void that the whole world can never fill. It will let you down in the end. Maybe it's family. Now, family is very important. It's God-given. But we don't make family our be-all and end-all. That's not our uh, religion, as it were. If it is, it will let you down. And even if you have the best family in the world, you've got to walk one day that lonesome valley of death by yourself. No family can't be taken with you uh, into eternity. Uh, they're lying vanities. Politics, politics. Uh, maybe we've lost our faith in politicians, but uh, some people uh, are still thinking that politicians can make a difference. Ultimately, no, because our hearts are evil and it is only God who can give us new hearts. Politicians are vital to make laws to protect us, but they can't deliver us from sin. They can't give us that eternal hope. Only God can. And Jonah here is saying, salvation is completely of the Lord. Grace sufficient to save me from my sin. And even though we're saved by faith, when I preach the gospel, I emphasize that's not what we have done, what Jesus Christ has done, and we accept that's by faith. Even faith is a gift. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Paul writing to the Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith, and even that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, 100% of God. We don't contribute anything. If you like maths, there is zero contribution on our parts. Have you ever thought of zero as a number? Try adding zero to zero. What do you get? Zero. Try taking zero away from zero. What's the answer? Zero. Try dividing zero with zero. What do you get? Zero. What about multiplication? Try multiply zero with zero. What do you have then? You've still got zero because there was nothing there to begin with. And it's nothing in my hands. I bring simply to thy cross. I cling. Do you see that? And if you are a believer, ha have you lost that sight? That salvation is all of Christ, all of grace. Because we still try to think, don't we? I need to contribute something. And we get into a terrible guilt then, which hinders our serving of God. I don't know who wrote this, but listen to this hymn. Well might the accuser, the devil, roar of sins that I have done. I see them all. And thousands more, yet Jehovah knoweth none. Praise God. The grace of Jesus Christ, the blood 
of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, as we'll be remembering shortly, has cleansed us from all sin. Another good commentary on Jonah is Tim Keller's commentary. He's got a few tangents, but they are very useful. And he gives this illustration in his commentary. We've all heard of the conversion of John Wesley, but at the same time, others were dealt uh, with by God. And they were all reading together uh, the uh, uh, commentary of Luther on uh, Galatians. And there was a chap called William Holland, and he had a head knowledge of God's grace, but he was profoundly dealt with. Uh, and it became something that he saw, like Jonah, in a fresh way. And this is what he wrote. Mr. Charles Wesley read the preface from uh, Luther's commentary. Uh, and at the words, what have we then? Nothing to do? No, nothing, but only accept of him? who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. When those verses were quoted, there came such a power over me as I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Saviour. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. He realized that it's all of grace. Like Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. Grace sufficient to save you, to save me. And then grace sufficient not just to save us, but to still keep us. Haven't you got that sense of gratitude to God here this evening? By grace, I have come so far. Uh, that's what the word steadfast love in verse 8 really is all about. Mercy, chesed, steadfast love. That's why we are still here. You know, if it would have been up to us, even if God would have saved us by grace and then left us to ourselves and would have said to us, there you are, I've saved you now. You're on your way to heaven. Now you make the best of it. If that would have been the case, we wouldn't have gone forward one step. Oh, no. It's the same for Jonah and the same for us, the same for Peter, the same for Paul. It's grace that has kept us ever since uh, that day of salvation. And it's that same grace that will take us home. I haven't got time to go into all the details here, uh, but think of Paul. Paul had his belly of the whale experience. I think he had a number. What happened to Paul when he was in Arabia for a few years? Wasn't that God teaching him? And then, of course, there was that blessing that Paul had when he was lifted up to the third heaven. But he had another experience afterwards where God sent a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh. Why? To humble Paul after the mountaintop experience of blessing he could have become unbearably proud so God sent him a thorn in the flesh we don't know what that thorn was it could have been an illness it could have been a disappointment it could have been anything but this is the lesson 
Paul was learning, like Jonah, my grace, says God, is sufficient for you. Paul, my grace was sufficient to save a Pharisee like you, Saul of Tarsus, the worst of people. Paul, my grace is still sufficient to keep you in ministry, to keep you even with these thorns in your flesh. A Rolls Royce. Somebody in our church applied for a job with Rolls Royce, I think. Uh, the silver shadow, or was it the phantom shadow? I can't remember. Uh, it uh, was first built uh, last century, early in the last century. The engines were then sealed, right? The early models had sealed engines. So if the car uh, broke down, uh, they had to have an authorised Rolls-Royce engineer from Derby, where the headquarters was, to come and fix it because it was all sealed. Now, a man had bought a Rolls-Royce and he was moving to South Africa. And the terrain in South Africa is very, very rough. And so he cabled uh, Rolls-Royce headquarters in Derby. Uh, and he said, I'm in South Africa with my Rolls-Royce. Very rough terrain here. How much power does the engine have? Because the engine was sealed, people didn't know how much horsepower uh, the engine had. And so he needed to know, in order to travel over this rough terrain, uh, did his Rolls-Royce have enough power? So he cabled Derby, the headquarters, with that question. And he received a one-word reply. Do you know what the word was? Is there enough power? One word. Enough! What about the grace of God? How much power, how much sufficiency is there? The road is rough, isn't it? Haven't we had a rough few months with this lockdown? Is the grace of Jesus Christ sufficient for the rough road ahead? We don't know how long it'll take for the lockdown to ease. We may have another spike. Enough. My grace is sufficient for you. Maybe some of you are worried about your job. Maybe some of you have lost your job. Maybe others are in between work and you don't know what the future holds. With all the changes that are occurring at this moment, is the grace of God going to be sufficient for me? Enough. My grace is sufficient for you. Maybe some of you are worried about your health. Maybe you're worried about elderly parents. Maybe you're worried about your children, worried about the kind of society that they are going to grow up in. It's going to be rough. Maybe it'll get worse or it gets better. Is the grace of Jesus Christ enough for our post-Christian society? You know the answer, Enough, my grace is sufficient for 
you. Praise God. What does the song say? His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. Indeed, when things are at their worst, when it's down and it's only down you are going, that's when God's grace especially is more than sufficient. That's what Paul learns. I think that's what Jonah really learns. When I am weak, then am I strong? Because it's the paradox of the Christian. It's his strength that is filling me. Paul said, didn't he? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when Jonah is vomited out of the belly of the whale, we'll see that next time. I'm sure he's going to Nineveh with a full heart because the grace of God has touched him. And he knows that he is just like the Ninevites and that if God had mercy on him and is still, still keeping him, he's got a living message, a living saviour to declare to the poor people of Nineveh. And I've just got one last point. What's Jonah's response here? What, what does he say? Somebody might say, well, if it's all of grace, if salvation is 100% of the Lord, even my being kept is of the Lord, can't I just do what I like then? Anything goes then. What did uh, the people, uh, the imaginary people that Paul was thinking of say in Romans? What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, no. If that's your attitude, you haven't got it. You haven't got it. Grace, when we really get it, doesn't lead to legalism and rules and being bound on the one hand, but neither does it lead to license and anything goes on the other. What's Jonah's response? Uh, listen to him. I will sacrifice, verse 9, to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. If you read R.T. Kendall's commentary, I think he's got a chapter on tithing. Uh, I, I'm not looking at that tonight, uh, but this is the important thing. What's in your heart if God in Christ has loved you with this chesed, love, steadfast, gracious, love what's your response is it all right then it's insurance to go to heaven or do you say oh he loved me and gave himself for me and i want to give myself to him and by that i don't mean necessarily going into the ministry or becoming a missionary it's simply being his disciple. In a way, you see, giving financially is just the tip of the iceberg and other things as well. It all comes from an attitude of hearts. Uh, even if you don't have much money, you can give of your time, 
you can give in all sorts of different ways. Was it Bonhoeffer, uh, the Christian pastor who was put to death by the Nazis? He said, grace isn't cheap. It's not cheap. It might be free, but it's never cheap. It's expensive, expensive. Uh, Packer again. Those who suppose that God's grace tends towards moral laxity are simply showing that they don't know what they're talking about. Very good, Mr. Packer. For love awakens love in return. As we're coming to the Lord's table, we've got visual aids to tell us love so amazing, so divine, demands. We're not forced. It's willing on our part, but demands my soul, my life, my all. Count Zinzendorf, as a young man, saw a picture of Christ on the cross, and underneath were the words, I have done this for you, to save you. I've done it, everything. What are you going to do for me? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, he left a lucrative career in Harley Street in London to go to Sandfield, Sandfield in Port Albert. And he didn't go to a proper church. It was a mission hall. And people were saying, that must be a huge sacrifice for him. But he said, they don't know what they're talking about. I don't consider it a sacrifice at all. It's a great honor to leave Harley Street, where I'm only dealing with temporal ills. I can't cure a soul there. And I'm going to be a physician of souls, a doctor of souls.